You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. This is episode 226 of Horsemanship Radio, brought to you by Hands On Gloves, the all-in-one revolutionary bathing grooming gloves. Horsemanship Radio is part of the family of the Horse Radio Network, and today we talk to Monty Roberts, and we go over some of the five greatest myths about horse training, and some facts that you thought you knew about horsemanship, but maybe they were really fiction. This is Debbie Laux, and you're listening to the Horsemanship Radio. Thanks for joining us. Horsemanship Radio airs on the 1st and the 15th of the month, and I have my producer back with me, Jen. Hi, how are hey, you? Hey, it's nice to be back, Debbie. I am glad you're back. You were like floating out on the ocean somewhere, I think. We took we took a short break and had a little family vacation. We took my mom along and my brother and his wife, so we had a lovely family vacation. Did a little bit of uh, recuperating and re-energizing, and I'm back and ready to rock and roll. Nice. I'm so glad you're back with us. I mean, I'm glad you had a nice break, too, but I'm glad that you don't like boats more than you like horses. No, no, no. I couldn't, get, couldn't wait to get home and ride my horse. We got home early in the afternoon. I dropped off all my luggage, chucked it into the bedroom, and went Aww. out to the barn. You're such a horse girl. <laughs> Go smell. I took a deep breath just as you said that, like, the barn. The barn. I yeah. went to the barn. Yes. So that was great. Hey, I'm really excited about this episode because me too. I'm I a I love me some myth busting. Okay. <laughs> and, right. and invariably, when we get to sit down and chat with Monty, he says something that needs to be on a t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> and I want everybody to hop on over to Facebook and go over to Monty Roberts' page and tell me what you think the t-shirt say the t-shirt moment in this episode is. I have mine. I'm not going to tell. Okay. I'm going to save it. And we'll see what posts we get over on the Facebook page. What would you put on a T-shirt that Monty says today? I think it'll be a lot of fun. I think that sounds really fun. So we'll put up a couple of photos of Monty and Monty doing a join up and then maybe a blank T-shirt. Maybe oh, oh, that's, a, that's a reminder. Get, okay. What, from this episode, what would you put on a T-shirt? Because there's always one. And I think you're falling behind because I think I have about six T-shirts that need to be made now. Uh-oh. <laughs> need hey, to get I work. There you go. Okay, I have a, a silk screener that you should meet. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, we'll get into this now. Um, Brett, first, I want to I want to hear about hands-on gloves. Hands-on gloves, cleverest doggone grooming tool to come along in a generation or two. And mm. they are the title sponsor of the Horsemanship Radio Show. So let's hear a little bit more about hands-on gloves. Jay Michelson grew up bathing and grooming horses and dogs. Raised in Texas, he always wondered why his family couldn't find a better way than the old hard-to-hold curry combs or bathing mitts that never fit and the shedding blades that literally ripped the animal's hair right out. Well, fast forward 20 years and Jay had an idea. Frustrated by the old products, still not improving after 20 years, he spent more than four years and several hundred thousand dollars developing hands-on gloves, quickly realizing that the reason a quality, comparable grooming product had never been developed, they were really difficult to make right. But he did it. Hands-on reaches far beyond the traditional curry combs, mitts, and shutters out there on the market. Wet or dry, the delicate gloves won't slip or fall off, providing both the groomer and the animal with more thorough and enjoyable grooming and bathing experiences. 
Constructed from durable, hypoallergenic, surgical-grade material, these lightweight gloves come in five sizes with extremely soft nodules on the fingers and palms. Trust me, hands-on gloves are the best of all the ways out there to groom your horses, dogs, and cats. Put them on your gift list, too. Find all the sizes and all the colors at handsongloves.com. Monty Roberts first gained widespread fame with the release of his New York Times bestselling book, The Man Who Listens to Horses, a chronicle of his life and development of his nonviolent horse training methods called Join Up. Monty grew up on a working horse farm as a firsthand witness to traditional and often violent methods of horse training and breaking the spirit with an abusive hand. Rejecting that, he went on to win 11 World Championships in the show ring. Roberts was encouraged by Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II with the award of the membership in the Royal Victorian Order. She became the patron of Join Up International. Other honors received were the ASPCA Founders Award and the MSPCA George T. Angell Humanitarian Award and FEI's Man of the Year. Monty was recently included as one of Horse and Hound Magazine's top 50 horsemen of all time. Monty is credited with launching the first-of-its-kind MontyRobertsUniversity.com, an interactive online lesson site that is the definitive learning tool for violence-free training. Today, Monty's goal is to share that his message is that violence is never the answer. Well, welcome back, Monty Roberts. Hi, Dad. Hi. How you doing? Good, thank you. We wanted to cover five greatest myths, in your opinion, about horse training. And I th- people love lists, don't they? Yeah, they do love lists, yes. But I disagree with one thing you said. We've been planning for this a little bit. I have been planning for this my entire life. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that's true. Let's go. Okay. So I know that you're going to, you're famous for being an advocate for the horse. So we know which direction you're going to go in when you say greatest myths about horse training and being fair. But what are some of the things specifically that you hear that you think, wow, people just don't get horses, do they? Yeah, that's so true. And you have that list. So let's just go down the list that I gave you. Okay. All right. We'll here we talk go. talk about them. First one is, well, the human needs to be boss. Yeah. I think a huge percentage of the horse people or people who would call them horse people call themselves horse people, would say that we need to be the boss. The horse has to know who's who's boss. And I am absolutely certain that the horse would rather know they have a partner than a boss. And I don't believe that being a boss is the answer here. And if God brought horses to the human species, I don't believe that God is sitting up there saying, conquer that bugger, you know, or hit him again, or tie him to that post, or tie a leg up on him. I don't believe it. I think that we have been missing a huge opportunity for 6,000 years since the domestication of horses, whereby 
the prime example of good horsemanship would be to create a partner okay. and not someone who just takes the brunt of it and the other who dishes the brunt out. And you know this because you watched it growing up? I know it because I watched it growing up, but I'm very angry with myself when you think about it. Mm. The years and years, the hours and hours, the countries and the airplanes and all of the horses that I've dealt with, and I haven't been hard enough on myself to mm. reach out earlier to help these horses. I, I, I've known it for a long time, but it wasn't popular. And I so often heard, ah, I don't have time for that stuff okay. with all that namby-pamby stuff. And now I'm looking back on it saying, boy, I should have taken the bow by the horns yeah. and <laughs> really tried to help horses a lot more than I did. I'm angry with myself. Mm. Okay, so one of the greatest myths is that uh, people were going to just say, well, of course, Monty, um, why didn't I think of that? That might be one of the greatest myths about horse training. I don't think That's people just true. fall over and, and, you know, believe you. But um, So true. Yeah. So our second one on the list is the human needs to restrain the horse. Is that a great myth? Yeah, that's a myth. That's a myth if there ever was one. You know, restrain causes a battle. Every time we go to restrain a horse yeah. or a steer or a cow or a bull, they will fight. Restraint mm -hmm. of the flight animal is counterintuitive. It is not a workable situation. Hmm. Restraint is totally unnecessary. Yes, you have to stay within boundaries, but there's ways to do that without saying you must, without saying you do it or I'll hurt you. Okay. There's, I mean, it's so perfectly clear when you go to South America and see them tying the, to the horse to the post Post's, and fighting yeah. the horse for days on end uh, uh, and beating on the horse. Uh, that's restraint, and it that's a myth. You know, you reminded me of a lesson. It was during Imani special training, which are always amazing, um, where you just get these horses one after another. They come into your round pen, and uh, they've got maybe an owner gives their scenario like, ah, this horse won't do this or will do that. And, and this horse came to you as won't be mounted. So you got one of your riders in there, and you began working with this horse to stand still to mount. And, blah, 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 blah. and it was a Mustang, as I recall. And at one point, you had a handler holding the head, of course, as you would. You restrained the horse from moving. But you always say, drop a, a smile in the line and let the horse make his own choice. And then the rider would come up, take a stab at getting on the horse, you know, and if the horse moved, you would ask that handler to back the horse a couple of steps. At one point, you were watching this horse's reaction, and you said, wait, to the handler, take the, clip, unclip the lead, and just step back a little bit, but make the horse, you know, stand, he held up his hand, I believe, and said, stand there, you know, uh, which body language works really well, by the way. And then you said to the rider, potential rider, <laughs> go 
and try to get on the horse. The horse was completely compliant at that point. It was just quiet and said, now I'm okay. Do you think that was an example of that restraining thing getting in the way? Oh, sure. Horses are positive pigmotaxis. And that means they go into pressure whenever it's applied to them. We are negative pigmotaxis, Mm -hmm. which means we try to go away from pain, except in our mouth. And when we're bringing in teeth, we bite down on a hard rubber ring because we press into the pain. Horses will press into the pain. And I probably noticed that that horse was pressing into the rope Mm -hmm. and pressing into the rider and maybe even pressing into me a bit, but trying to control that horse's life and its situation as it saw it at the moment. And as soon as nobody was trying to push, shove, or hold, then the horse just relaxed. And generally, I can read that Mm -hmm. in a horse, and I wish that more horsemen could, because that horse will then comply with you far more likely than the horse that you just overcome with pressure and pain and demand. Um, It's it's easy when you get the scientific basis of thigmotaxis down. It's so easy to get horses to agree with you rather than disagree. Mm -hmm. That's great. That's a lesson people can look for. Number three I have on here... um, that the human needs to repeat the demand until receiving submission from the horse. Just keep repeating it. Yeah. I mean, that's what they do in South America, Spain, Portugal, uh, south of France. They sent these things over where you just keep repeating the same kind of force Mm -hmm. until the horse gives up. And it's called breaking the horse. Right. And, When you stop to think about it, you know, when we lived in the caves, we broke our wives. We didn't have weddings when we lived in the caves. (laughs) We, I doubt that we told any woman that we loved her when we lived in the caves. You forced the woman to do whatever you wanted to do. And you forced your children too. And it goes back. the, The pictures are there. The drawings are there in the caves. I have visited them. And I should have been more forceful about what I was trying to teach the world of horsemanship after those visits early on in my life to the caves. Way back uh, in the early 70s, I, uh, yeah, even in the 60s, I was visiting those caves over there. It's a long story, so I won't go into that. But, um, but the picture is there. Mm-hmm. And then the children who hadn't learned how to be forceful yet, started finding little foals where the mother had died and bringing the foal in. Mm -hmm. And that was the beginning of domestication. Mm -hmm. And then when the foal got big enough, the father would step in and say, yeah, but we got to do this because we're going to force him to do that. Mm -hmm. And children would probably have been a better educator of horses at that point in time than uh, adults would have been. Mm -hmm. But um, you go back and the history is all there. Okay. So irony was that you said you should have been more forceful. Probably not the word to use. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I should have spoken out louder or something. Okay, be louder. Maybe that's a better word. How do you get people to stop being people? We're off. 
Well, that's it. We're carnivores, aren't we? So this one is interesting too. It's a myth that training must conform to age or a timeline. Yeah. Training happens with us people. When babies are born, they begin to learn about little things in life. And you can't take a horse and start saying, he's two now, he should do this, or he's three now and should do that. Um, that, that process of becoming domesticated and becoming knowledgeable should follow a smooth curve throughout the life of these animals. Um, oftentimes we put a rope around the foal and pull the foal around like it was a rag doll. And uh, you start the process going wrong right there, where it becomes uh, beast against man. And uh, oh, I wish I wish somehow we could have learned faster because I'm almost eighty nine now. No, I'm almost eighty eight now. Yeah, don't push and, that. And um, <laughs> I'm not going to be around long enough to see what I wanted to see with with horsemanship. But it is moving in the right direction, my word. Uh, some of these people, what's the lady's name that's doing so well in the rain cow horse thing oh, now? Sarah Dawson, I bet you're going to say. Sarah Dawson. Mm -hmm. Can you believe that lady? She is so kind to her horses. And, ah, my word, how uh, it's just. And her husband is getting mm -hmm. better and better, too. And yeah. he's right up there. And uh, we just learned that one of my, our ex students here, uh, Philip Rawls, mm -hmm. won the world's greatest horsemanship contest and was the first son of a former champion of the world greatest, yeah. which was his father, Ron Rawls, right. whom I think won it three times or something. Yeah. And now uh, Philip Rawls won it just the other day. But not only that, it's the highest scores ever recorded wow. in any rain cow horse contest. Mm -hmm. It's incredible. Yeah. Uh, it, uh, you know, and so we are going in the right direction. There's no question about that. And Sarah Dawson's father came here and made uh, videos with us. Richard Winters, and, yeah. Uh, he's a knowledgeable guy. I never mm -hmm. had anything to do with his training, but he's a knowledgeable guy and he's learned from horses too. And He's another helper in the causes we have. Absolutely. He, he took up horses a little bit later in life, too, but um, caught up with a lot of people, too. So another, another myth is that we should train our horses a bit like we train our dogs. Yeah. Um, well, that's, I mean, we, we train dogs in a lot of different ways. And I've seen very good dog trainers way ahead of what I consider a good trainer of, of horses is, uh, and dogs are fight animals. So there is a difference there, a dramatic difference there. We are, uh, flight animals and fight animals, uh, choosing what we want to be, uh, with a broader spectrum of, uh, brain cells than most animals on earth. So, uh, I'm proud of a lot of dog trainers that have decided that, uh, violence is not the answer. Pain doesn't get you a lot of help. And, um, 
And, um, you know, I look, I look back on things like Ron Rawls. He came to me at 38 years of age, totally unable to show a horse in any competition whatsoever at 38 years of age and went on to, uh, win the world's greatest, I think two or three times. It's just incredible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it gives a lot of us hope. A lot of us hope. Uh, what about, here's, here's a pretty extrapolated one, but I think you'd agree that the Mustangs out in the Tonopah Plains or someplace uh, in the wilds of Utah are not domesticated, domesticated, correct? That is correct. Okay. So, is the training for a domesticated horse all that much different than the training for a wild horse? It's different only because the wild horse has seen survival to be that thing where they flee. They are flight animals. And when they see the mountain lion coming, they get the heck out of there. They don't stand there and fight the, 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 the mountain lion. But if cornered, they'll fight mm -hmm. to save their life. That's natural for any species. But um, as you take in a Mustang to train, the only difference between that and a domesticated horse is that you have to dial the... the the, the dial the numbers back to zero mm. and then start repeating the tiny little things where you're just going to touch a shoulder by your fingers. Mm -hmm. And we do that. I do it in my operation in a shoot where they can't kick you and they can't bite you and they can't strike at you. They do feel cornered, but your hand goes in there and touches and rubs and doesn't hurt. Mm -hmm. And they go, wow, look at that. Mm -hmm. That's a killer. And he's touching me and he's not hurting. And pretty quick, you're touching up around his ears and you're not hurting. Mm -hmm. And within hours, you're putting a halter on him and not hurting. Mm -hmm. And then you release him from there with a halter on and you're going to try to show him how to be guided by a halter and a lead line. Mm -hmm. and he runs against it, he spins around, he runs away, and you just keep bringing him back and showing, them, showing him that you're not going to hurt him, mm -hmm. and pretty soon he says, what's the next thing you want? And <laughs> it's amazing. When I first put my gentling pen in here on this property, mm -hmm. which was in the 60s, I could get a Mustang to be led to the round pin from the gentling pin in approximately 16 to 18 days. The really tough ones, maybe even 20 days. Today, with just the changes that we've made in the approach that we have, the same Mustangs are leading to the round pin in three to five days. Four being the most often uh, time uh, till we can lead the horse to the round pin. What happened here? What happened here was a fine-tuning of the commitment to be 
free from pain for any horse, particularly the Mustang, who's waiting for pain because they've already been charged by mountain lions and coyotes and wolves and so many predators, including human beings, that it's not funny. And so they know how to be wild Mm -hmm. and wilder than any domesticated horse who's already learned that they bring me food. Mm -hmm. I have a fence. I can't just run free. So you're already, you know, halfway up the ladder uh, with the domestic horse. But the Mustang is the educator. Mm -hmm. And boy, oh boy, once they give in, once they say, I'll be your partner, it's amazing how much quicker they are to learn things than the domestic horse. That's true. It is true. They're so smart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So smart and sensitive. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I mean, a side, side note on that is when Jamie Jennings, your certified instructor, who was is the host of the podcast Horses in the Morning, came here after seeing you in Arizona doing a demonstration. She came here. She took the first class was Gentling Wild Horse Course. She had no intention of being certified. The class was two weeks long then, as you recall. So even just those fine tunes, now the class, Gentling Wild Horses, we've got a couple of them this year, is now five days. And the reason for that is techniques, methodology, doesn't mean the first week you were doing anything harmful to those horses at all. We were just not progressing as quickly as you do now because there's just such a quicker glide path the more that you've added to the the science behind Gentling these horses. It's amazing. Yeah, and the traditional horsemen will often say, I don't have time for that junk. Right. Um, <laughs> and, and look at that. They, they take more time than the junk does. So yeah. <laughs> where are we going here? All right. Okay. So we're going to take a quick break here, uh, a commercial break, and then we'll come back with a different set of questions. We'll call this fact or fiction. Monty likes to say that the concepts inherent in the language equus are based upon always giving the horse the power of choice. This is why he created his online university. So rehabbing and rehoming racehorses, you want to save them all. We get it. You will love this series with Monty and Jamie Jennings, host of Horses in the Morning and a certified Monty Roberts instructor out of Oklahoma. They work together on retraining ex-racehorses, or off-the-track thoroughbreds, for new purposeful careers. See this series at MontyRobertsUniversity.com. Well, welcome back. Thanks, Dad. That was that was great, illuminating about myths. But uh, now we're going to change up a little bit and call this one fact or fiction and let people guess a little bit. You know how we do? So we send out weekly. We've done this since 2004. We send out a free newsletter. So it comes in the inbox email and it's a 
question that somebody's written in. You get to choose the, you, Monty, gets to choose the question, and then you give us the answer, and we publish that on Wednesday mornings. So people should go to our website and look for that. Just go down to the Ask Monty and um, put your name on the list. You will get that. Since 2004, we haven't missed one Wednesday. Pretty excited to say that, which means we have a lot of content. Um, I always like to tease you that you said in the beginning, you know, Debbie, there's only about 50 questions. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> and we, we, we have found many variations on those 50 questions because it's personal to them. So, um, so there are, we know from these questions that we get, there's a lot of facts and there's a lot of fiction and people are trying to sort it all out. And one of the things that we took on, probably we'd been several years into the Ask Monty, is we took to putting next week's question in this week's Q&A because it gave people time to think, marinate on the question that you were given and to see if they could maybe follow your line of reasoning, follow your track, follow, or maybe come up with something pretty darn clever too, you know? And yeah. so it's kind of been fun over the years to hear how people's minds have been shaped by these Ask Montes. And I feel like that's part of our, our mission. So if people are interested in that, get on that. But I feel like this is kind of that and fact or fiction. And people can be thinking about that, this list that I'll give as you're answering the question. Okay. Sure. All right. First one is, so horses need to know that the human is the leader. <laughs> Fiction. Mm -hmm. um, the human can be the first sentence in a conversation, Okay. but the horse has to have an equal part in everything that we do. And humans to lead have to expect themselves to be partners, not leaders as in our corporate things where this guy's the boss and if you don't do what he says, you get fired and they take your money away. Mm -hmm. that, that's the kind of leader that we don't want to be with the horse. We, we want to travel the path of getting better at whatever we're trying to do as partners in that path. Okay. And uh, so that's where I stand. Yeah. So it, you don't think it's uh, an insecurity for the horse to know that you are asking him to do something, but in a benevolent way, a, a benevolent leadership. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Great. Second one is, a wild horse wants to hurt you. Yeah, a wild horse never, in my opinion, wants to hurt you. I know there's mean stallions that try to protect the herd and they'll advance and run out of the herd and charge at you to drive you away. But that's only because you have a reputation as a two-legged <laughs> killer right. and, yeah. and a producer of pain. No wild horse wants to hurt you. They want to get away from you. Flight animals means to flee. And that's what horses are. They are flight animals. They want to get away from you. And we want them to be closer to us. So we need to figure out how in the world we can cause them to want to be closer to us. And isn't it a shame that 
our greatest producers of champions, like the ones I mentioned, Ron Rawls, Zane Davis, uh, Philip Rawls, uh, um, I mean, all over the world, Terry Pendry in England and uh, Simon Stokes in Germany. Champions, champions they are. But it's not those people who are coming forward to say, tell me more about your thing here. The professionals tend to want to stay away from a nonviolent form of training horses. They want to be able to be the boss mm -hmm. and to force it to happen. And, uh, and yet, as we go, the Sarah Dawson's, I've, I don't think I've ever met her. So she's not following me. She's following horses. Mm -hmm. Yes, her father came with me and did videos and stuff, and he has the same kind of attitude. And Sarah Dawson is going to be a big leader, in my opinion, in taking people down the path to say, wait a minute. This creep called Monty Roberts has been around since the early 40s trying to show us what nonviolent training is all about, and we haven't listened. And I could have been more helpful to the, um, the, the world of horses, that's for sure, if I'd have just pulled my belt tighter and worked harder at it. But you don't do that when you're trying to compete, and the judge out there is a traditional horseman. And so you, you don't say a lot of things that you know are going on and, um, it's time to change that. And it's time to say that nonviolence is okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, there's a lot of people would say that the violence has been taken out of the training of horses. That's too strong a word. Is that factor? Oh fiction? boy. Uh, <laughs> it, it is too strong a word. Okay. But um, it's true that it's happening, and the horses are more responsible for it than I am because they're doing better when they're not violated. Yeah, that's it. But, um, yeah, it's, it's changing. It's changing dramatically. And in Europe, uh, there's less of the whipping and the show jumping, and, mm -hmm. and uh, we're finally getting rid of the Tennessee walking horses with mm -hmm. blistered legs to get them to lift their legs higher and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. We're finally getting at uh, violence and, uh, and changing it. The one thing we don't want to do is go so far that we start to ban things. Mm -hmm. And we want to be very careful. You can go ahead and ban uh, a lot of things, but you can't just say things like I'm hearing from Europe now about no horses should be in any competition at all, ever. Right. Right. If they start doing that, then millions of horses will die because those people who have fun with horses and they should have fun with their horses in competition won't feed a horse that they can't do competition with. So what are they going to do? They just throw them away and they will feed them to dogs worldwide. Yep. And uh, I'm very strongly against banning a lot of things don't ban it make it better better yes change mm -hmm. its heart and soul to be a better discipline mm -hmm. don't ban it good okay number three 
Training a green horse, fact or fiction, training a green horse is about controlling its will. (laughs) Training a green horse is not about controlling its will. The horse has a will that we should be partners with. And you have to define that will yourself. Um, If you walk in the pen and the horse comes at you with his mouth open and both ears back, you know what his will is. Mm. But that doesn't happen very often. And that horse has a reason for doing that. Most horses will try to get away from you. That's the flight animal. Not aggressive. That's what they are. God made them that way. And uh, we live with that and convince them that going with us is a better way to go than going against us. Right. So the fact is, working with their nature is the best way to train. Exactly. Okay. Number four. Horses like to control humans if they can. They plot. (laughs) (laughs) I guess that's a fiction. The flight animal does not plot. They don't stop and think, if this happens, I'm going to do that. No, they have natural tendencies that have been brought into their lives because most of them died with some violent act from some predator. Mm -hmm. And then as they grew up as a breed uh, or a species, they learned that there are two ways to look at this thing. And those that go with us and uh, are happy about it are happier and better off than the horse that's frightened to death all the time. And so as horses move northward out of Africa and up through Mongolia, China, and all the way to the top North Pole, those horses not just horses, but what about the reindeer? The reindeer that went to the North Pole, you should see the training that goes on with them. They are gentle animals. They haven't been violated. So they put a halter on them and lead them in a day or two. And then they hook them to a sled and they pull them over the ice. Why? Because as they moved up to get away from predators, they didn't find the human to be a predator up there. Mm -hmm. Uh, Those, the, the humans up there don't eat those reindeer. They eat seals and fish and, and everything, but they, they don't want to eat their reindeer. The reindeer are too important to them. They are transportation, They are heat in the wintertime. They are so many things to the human being. I've been there. Mm -hmm. And they love their reindeer. Now, deer are 10 times greater flight mechanism in the deer than horses down here where the earth is uh, not so frozen. As the deer moved up there, they found that people stopped being violent. And uh, they, they they are partners now. Santa Claus knows that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they fly, actually. Up there. Um, 
yeah, that so that's interesting. If they're brought into the family, then of course they they after generations we can see that they become, I guess I want to say domesticated, but it's really more about they become trusting. Exactly. The, you know, when I was up there, I saw herds of wild reindeer. And the wild reindeer would allow people to walk right through the herd. Hmm. What in the world is that all about? They weren't domesticated. So now they're getting numbers because they don't eat them. Mm -hmm. They're getting numbers that are big enough to make a herd. And if that happened down anywhere near where the, 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 the herds of flight animals are in an area where um, the weather doesn't allow for that kind of coming together, mm -hmm. then they will flee. Won't they just all of Africa? I mean, those horses right. are so wild. And, and as you suggested, Utah and, 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 um, and Montana and, and Nevada, uh, just walk out in and try to walk through a herd of, of Mustangs and see what happens. Get within a I mile. Mean, <laughs> yeah. To get within a mile. Exactly. And, uh, so th that's the kind of thing that we haven't as a group of people that calling themselves horsemen, we haven't stopped and really taken a look at what horses are and what they mean to us and what they can be for us. We haven't stopped. Uh, and, and of course, they ate them in Africa too, but everybody ate them in Africa. They are flight animals, so they were free for the lions and the tigers and the, and the people. And, uh, and many other, uh, many other uh, uh, predators. So, yeah, we could stop being predators if we stopped breaking horses like came from Spain. Mm -hmm. uh, and, I, you know, I don't want to blame those Spaniards. They did what they thought they had to do. So those people roped them because they knew how to use a rope because they were handling cattle the same way. Yes. Mm -hmm. Rope them and wrap the rope around a post and then pull them to the ground and say, we got to break them. And I don't blame those people. They did what they thought they had to do at that time. But that was 6,000 years ago. And haven't we had enough time to see that yeah. that's not the answer? Right. That getting along with the flight animal is without violence, not with violence. And particularly the flight animal called Equus. You know, you, you reminded me, I may have mentioned this before, but I watched that documentary when Kelly Marks, one of your students, went down to Namibia, I think. Um, yeah. It was a, a desert in in Africa. And yeah. this the horses there, there are wild horses there that people can walk among them because there's no real predator. There's a little snake, I think you said, or something like that. That's right. But yeah. they had developed a you know, a, a fear of a predatorial action against them. Right. So therefore there was no reason for them to believe that running away was necessary. Yeah, and that fellow that she works with, uh, that Ian, Ian Vandenberg, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. he went with her down there, and uh, they had the reason they went was that they had heard about this area of people that decided they would live with the horses and not eat them and not hurt them, 
and these horses became friendly. Not domesticated, but friendly. And so they could drive them into corrals and stuff like that. And they went down there and they were riding horses in two or three days mm. and, uh, and leading them around. And, uh, you know, the, the heart is there within the horse to be a partner with a human being. We just haven't allowed it with our traditional horsemanship. Yeah, there you are. Well, let's leave that. That's a beautiful note to end on. And I really appreciate all the knowledge that you share. Now, we have the movement coming up in June. I want people to know about that from your words, too. So we're excited that we have Jamie Jennings coming back. We have Glenn Hebert, my producer Jen's husband, gets to come this year. She came last year. And we have um, several people. It'll be basically a Horse Radio Network meetup here and more and so we're going to have uh we're going to have jared rogerson for a, a music concert on friday night it'll be really fun so it starts halfway through the day on friday right after lunch and we are going to have you and jamie are going to be the most front and center so we're going to see a little gentling wild horses and we're going to see a little starting of horses and we're going to see a lot of beautiful horses on the mountain trail too yeah which and, is and, and debbie we, we, we ought to say that as this idea of nonviolent horsemanship gets loose on the world, mm-hmm. radio networks like this one are hugely important to get the yeah. messages out there and to make sense of them. Yeah, the Horse Radio Network, the Equine Network are doing a great job globally. They're the biggest globally to share the concepts out there. And there's so many great shows on there, too. And I I think probably podcasting was just built for the equestrian business because uh, not only is it easy to plug some some pods in your ears and and head out to the barn and do your chores with it, but it's a great way to share. So if this has done something for the insides of you like the horse does for the outsides of you, then you know, share this uh, Horsemanship Radio and share some of the other shows on the Horse Radio Network because I think we're all doing our bestest to get better horsemanship in the fingertips of the next generation. And shoot, there's a 72-year-old in our introductory course that's going on right now, Dad. You know, Sharon? Yeah, I know. That's amazing. <laughs> Just new into the into the industry. We also have a gentleman from South Korea who only really picked up horses a year ago, didn't like what he particularly saw in South Korea. So he started Googling around, and guess who he found? You and your class. <laughs> he found me, and, he, and I saw him do a join-up yesterday that oh, was from that. heaven. It was really, really nice. And uh, he's as green as grass. I mean, he really is green, but it didn't take him long. I think in three days he was doing a join up as well as most people can do it. That's awesome. Well, he loves horses, and that's probably the bottom line. Whisper the language of the herd. Listen, you don't have to say a word. It's time for Jamie Jennings to fetch an email from Monty Roberts' inbox and share a morsel of Monty's wisdom in a little segment we like to call Ask Monty. Leave this world a better place in the The magic in the language of the Dear Monty, 
Why does my horse refuse a jump? Monty's answer. Probably you have overmatched him at some point. Get the fences lower, let him have fun, and rebuild his confidence. Elevate the fences gradually, attempting to discover his maximum capability. Horses don't simply refuse a jump for no reason. If I ask you if he has ever refused a Cavaletti, I believe your response would be no. If that's the case, then a simple answer is that the fence was too high. Obviously, that simple answer may not be the whole story. It could be that the fence was scary and he had never seen it before. It's possible that the ground was too slippery or the going was too deep. There are many reasons why a horse may refuse a jump. With that in mind, however, one should realize that horses are generous animals and willing workers. If the environment is set up properly, they love to jump. It is a natural activity with them. My statement that the horse was probably overmatched is a well-founded general explanation for a horse stopping at a fence. To qualify ourselves as good horse people, we should take a hard look at all the factors involved, come to a conclusion, and act in the best interest of the horse to solve his problem. Lowering the fence will be one of the answers in a high percentage of cases involving refusal. When we are acting responsibly with our horse, we will work to set up a scenario in which he feels good about successfully jumping a fence and then reward him appropriately. One of the most effective rewards I have used is to have the fence high enough for the horse to feel achievement in jumping it while still low enough for him to accept. If the rider dismounts as soon as the horse has negotiated the fence, leads him around and allows him to feel pleased with himself in having accomplished his feat, that horse will be a more willing partner. If you are clever about this, you can arrange your training program so that the schooling session for any given day is conducted over fences that are educational but not overly taxing. And once you have accomplished this, then you can ask the horse to tackle a fence that is a bit more of a challenge, ensuring that he approaches it going in his favorite direction, and then you can accomplish the jump, dismount, and finish the day's session on a positive note. You can play with this scenario until you reach what is generally fairly obvious as the horse's physical limit. Through this method, you can optimize the performance of your horse. However, a good horse person will observe the horse's responses carefully and be very careful about increasing the demand. For more of these insights into good horsemanship, go to MontyRoberts.com and click on the words Ask Monty at the bottom of the page. Where in the world is Monty Roberts? Monty is looking forward to meeting some new friends, two-legged and four-legged, in March. We've got March 2023 here. Right now, it's the first, if you're listening to this as it posts. And on the 11th, we have a Horsemanship 101. That's foundational. It's really fun. It's a day. And then March 13th through 17th, we have Monty's special training. That's five days of Monty working with all kinds of horses. It's really fun. And then March 18th, we have a Mountain Trail Play Day. You remember our Mark Bolander Mountain Trail that we put in our infield there. We have an open house and people can haul in and spend the day torturing your horse. I mean, having fun on your horse. (laughs) No, it's really fun. I love hearing the giggles of ladies that are, let's just say 50 plus sometimes too, that never have experienced something like a mountain trail with their horse. It's a lot of fun. April, we have April 1st. 
that's like half a month later, we have a mountain trail play day again. And then we have all our advanced exams in that. So skip that month for those that are just thinking about coming and taking a course. But in May, you might consider May 1 through 13 is the introductory course of horsemanship. That's the two-week course, 12 days, or you can break it up into modules. So that means that the first through the third could be the intro course, module one, that first steps to Monty's methods. And then May 4 through 6, the introductory course, module two, the join-ups. And the next 8 through 10 is Introductory Course Module 3, Long Lining. And then 11 through 13 is the preparation for the intro exam. So you see how we do that with the whole intro course all broken up into modules too. And then on the 19th, we have Horsemanship 101. So that's May 19th, Horsemanship 101. And on the 20th, we have our Mountain Trail Play Day. Then advance warning, in June 5 through 9, we have our Gentling Wild Horses. That's five days of fun. And then June 10 is our Mountain Trail Play Day. That's our one for the month where we open house it. June 16 through 18 is, what do we call it, June? The, June the movement. We call it, the movement in June. And, yeah, and that'll be super fun this year. We've got a bunch of themes going on. So jump on, watch us on our Facebook page as we start to um, ramp up for that. Watch um, as we see in whether you're on the Facebook page for Horse Radio Network or whether you're on the auditor's page, which you really need to be for the Horse Radio Network, you get to see all the um, the advance warning on some of the fun things that'll happen. But remember, it's limited to 50 people. I warned you, okay? It's limited to 50 people and because uh, we like we like the feel of the intimacy at the movement. So we're going to keep it that way. And then July, we'll, we'll have that 8th. We'll have the Mountain Trail Play Day. And then we'll have 10 through 14 is another Monty special training. And you'll be on TV for that one probably. And then the 15th, Horsemanship 101. And the 31st of July through August 4 is the Gentling Wild Horses course, five days. So Dun, we'll stop da-da. right there. I'm exhausted. <laughs> You're exhausted. Quick question. Gentling Wild Horses, five days. That's a course that lasts five days, and it's a standalone unit. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Now, do you have to have a prerequisite course to take Gentling Wild Horses? Do you have to take something Great else before question. that? The crazy answer is no. There is no prerequisites for that. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> it's really cool that way because we've had people – super young and super old that have come and it's it's really more of an auditor's course but almost everybody ends up getting in there with the wild horses but remember they can be in the shoots too so you're 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 safe and the horse is safe from you <laughs> right and that's that's something yeah. that really struck me when I was out at the movement last year because the courses that you have at at flags up farms the california horse center mm-hmm. Um, are attended by people of every imaginable background, skill set, interest level. It's amazing the variety of people. It is. But safety and positive experience really stood out to me, watching everybody interact with everybody. Horses, humans, cats, the dogs, everybody. It was very much keeping everybody safe without feeling like they were being coddled, you know, cause sometimes when you're yeah. trying to keep people safe around horses, it's like, don't touch, don't do stay away. I'll, you know, get those kinds of phrases and words, but it wasn't, it didn't feel that way. So if you would like to try 
the Gentling Wild Horses course and are concerned because you are maybe intimidated by the thought of working with a wild horse or you maybe have some fear issues or you're just plain old unsure about what the heck's going to happen. Mm-hmm. One, of, one of the hallmarks of your programs is making sure that students are safe as they learn and can feel po- get positive feedback from the horse and the instructors. Absolutely. I think it's important for everybody to touch horses. And that's one of our goals is to make sure that everybody is safe and has an opportunity to interact with horses too. So what we get is unique in that we get horse lovers. It doesn't matter what discipline, what country, what language, what age, any of that. There, there's something in that DNA There's that are horse lovers that come here seeking to understand better what dad has discovered. And that's why there are only prerequisites on advanced courses and things that, you know, you've already taken a course before that. So our Horsemanship 101, there's no prerequisites. Introductory course you could take for two weeks, there's no prerequisites. But we'll make sure that the person who comes and shows up on the day will experience at their own rate, right? You know, in their own um, background experience fear level you know yeah just just like money talked about earlier it's the horse tells you the rate at which it needs to advance you allow the human to tell you that too absolutely absolutely there you go well you can find out all of this and more at monteroberts.com you can go old school and call flag is up farms the California Horse Center at 805-688-6288 and a helpful human being will answer all of your questions we will yeah, we will, we will try. Anyway, we'll <laughs> For take details the money. We'll about today's up. show, you can go to horsemanshipradio.com and you can find links, photos, more information about today's guests and topics. Follow Monty on social media on Facebook, Monty Roberts, the one with the little blue check mark, Twitter and Instagram, both Monty underscore Roberts. And many thanks to our sponsors, too. We talked about them a little bit, didn't we, today? Hands-on gloves. Jay and his team over there are amazing and brilliant and very specific to why they invented what they did. There are no seconds. um, You know, don't try another cheaper version of them. These are the best, and they're sold in sets. And also, MontyRobertsUniversity.com. We talked about that. Now we have 750-plus lessons on there. I say the plus because we're always adding them before you even get to see them, before we post them. And and so it's just, uh, you know, it's a domino thing. We just keep (laughs) throwing lessons in there. It's a lot of fun. And those Monty Special Trainings that we talked about, this is where we glean a lot of our lessons. And so you might end up being on MontyRobertsUniversity.com. Be sure to visit all the other great shows, too, on the Horse Radio Network at HorseRadioNetwork.com. Until next time, have many happy horse hours. 